Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Hi, everyone. This is Michael, and I'm here to introduce a special bonus episode of Conversations on Dance this week with myself and two members of the Nashville Ballet team, Brianna Richardson, Senior Manager of Community Engagement, and Nick Mulliken, Artistic Director. A lot of you have asked about my role as a repetitor for Justin Peck, so I hope you enjoy this behind-the-scenes look at the work I did helping bring Justin's Year of the Rabbit to Nashville Ballet. If you're in the Nashville area, visit NashvilleBallet.com to purchase tickets for performances this September 22nd through 24th. Welcome to Inside the Ballet, a podcast series presented by Nashville Ballet's Community Engagement Initiative. At Nashville Ballet, we believe in the transformative power of art. Art is and has always been a facilitator for change, bringing about awareness, dialogue, empathy, and much more. Art brings beauty into our lives and makes the world a more hopeful, positive place. In our Inside the Ballet series, Nashville Ballet artists and creative experts will discuss the inspiration behind our upcoming performances, give insight into the creative process, and help listeners gain understanding of poetic, social, and cultural themes surrounding a work. Whether you are looking to increase your ballet IQ or learn more about how a ballet is brought to the stage, join us for Inside the Ballet and be transformed. Welcome back to Inside the Ballet. I am Brianna Richardson, and today we go inside Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit with stager Michael Breeden. Michael talks about his career, Year of the Rabbit, and as a stager, how he helps dancers reach their full potential. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Take a listen. Today, Nashville Ballet Artistic Director Nick Mulliken and I are going inside Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit with stager Michael Breeden. Hello. Hi, it's such a pleasure to be on this side of a podcast. Yes, and Nick, hello. Hello, we're so excited to have Michael here, aren't we? We are. <laughs> Michael, how long have you been here? 
I have been here, uh, this is my third week. Okay. So I've been, uh, you know, of course, loving my time with the company, but, you know, getting to see a little bit of Nashville. Yeah. Which I had not been to before. What do you think? I love it. I mean, it's good food, good drinks. There's, you know, what else does one need? And the weather? And the weather was good until it wasn't, so I'm not going to complain <laughs> too bad. Where are you coming from? Uh, before this, I was in Vail, Colorado, but I live in New York City. So okay. in New York City, I mean, nobody wants to be there in the summer anyway, so... Yeah. I've just exchanged humidity for a different, more humidity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it, it cooled off for you a little bit, but. That yeah, yeah. wasn't too bad last week. Yeah. Today, this week, it's pretty serious. Yeah, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. All right. So you are here staging Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit. And before we get into it, um, just a little bit, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Tell us about your career. I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, not nice. far. So not that far. Um, funny I, that I had never been to Nashville. It's only a few hours yeah. away. Um, so I don't know. Something about Tennessee does feel a little like home to me. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, then um, moved to New York City when I was 15 to train more seriously at the School of American Ballet and later danced with the Miami City Ballet um, and retired in 2017 and have been staging ballets for Justin I think I started a year after that. Okay. Yeah. And Justin and I, we went to the School of American Ballet together. So okay. we've known each other. He lived next door to me when we were 16. I was curious Known about each other that. for a while. So you you retired at 2017, because that was my other question. I got to step yeah. into the studio last week and saw you, of course, staging um, this ballet. But you look like you could go on the stage yourself. That's so very kind of you to say. Are you still I, dancing? I don't. No, I, I well, you're. Always, always a dancer. A dancer. <laughs> that is true. But I do, I really like, I always liked class. I always, I loved class. I love bar. Um, and so I just like to stay in that. And I also feel like your body is a much better uh, storage facility for information than your brain. Yeah. So when you're staging a ballet, it's often good to just rely on your muscle memory as much, if not more, than your own brain's yeah, memory. Yeah, because you're doing it. Yeah. I saw you. And it's, it's just easier to explain, like, rather than, I mean, Nick, you know, like, it's like, you're not, like, it's much easier to be like, okay, it's, uh, you know, like, to show it, rather than be like, okay, it's a saute, but you have a squiggly arm that ends with the right finger flourish. over, you know, yeah, it's uh-huh. like, that sort of explanation feels kind of useless. <laughs> I was going to say, well, one thing I'm very envious about is the fact that you are still in pretty good dancer shape, I would say, <laughs> in comparison to me, but I was, I was curious how your... And I know if it's on our question list, but as we talk about it, how your career, because you were focused pretty specifically in areas that balancing really specifically influenced. And is that something that you stayed inside of for your entire career? And if so, why and how does that impact your work with uh, Year of the Rabbit? Yeah. Well, I when I went to the School of American Ballet, that was when I discovered Balanchine's Ballets, Balanchine's Company. It was not really something that I was... Um, it wasn't that I was not exposed to it, but I was definitely more Russian trained. I had Cuban teachers and grew up idolizing, uh, at that point, like the men of American ballet theater were really, I remember there was an article of the first time maybe that there were more male principals at ABT than hmm. female principals. Wow. Ethan. Yeah. Malikov, Ethan, Angel, Malikov, um, who else? Jose Carreño, like all these, Julio Boca. Great. So I was really very into American Ballet Theater. And then when I went to the School of American Ballet for a summer, I found this new way of moving. And at first it was really disorienting. And um, I remember kind of, there was times where I, they 
where things weren't fully explained to me and I had no idea and it was like an alien language. Like someone would ask me to do something in class and I would be like, I w- wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I wouldn't do it because I didn't think that that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's not what I've learned. Yeah, and I just didn't know. And I had to have someone after, like a friend afterwards, explain to me like why we did it this way. And then I would kind of like lightning bolt moment. Right. Things clicked. And um, so, yeah, I, I stayed at the School of American Ballet for three years. Um, and then I ended up at Miami City Ballet where Edward, Edward Valella, who... Um, they say he's the first American-born male ballet star. <laughs> uh, he, so he was a principal dancer at New York City Ballet under George Balanchine. Mm-hmm. But he also was on Ed Sullivan and uh, so many other, like the Bell Telephone Hour, like all these programs that millions of homes watch. So he was out there popularizing ballet and, and in particular making it okay for men in America to dance. And um, move quickly and sharply yeah. and beautifully at the same time. Yeah, he I and and so Edward comes from that tradition and I found a home there. It made it made sense for me. All the repertoire was were things that I felt suited to, like with my training and also just really that was what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I definitely stayed in that vein. I did dance a few other places. I danced in Boston Ballet briefly, Oregon Ballet Theater, Pennsylvania Ballet, I guested with, and Suzanne Farrell Ballet. So I got I got around a little yeah, bit. I was gonna say, but still, was that with Roy Kaiser that you were dancing in yeah, Philadelphia yeah, Ballet? Yeah. So it's still strongly influenced by Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was still Balancing Company and um that was just like a uh, in the summer moment. <laughs> all my all my friends were there and it was like, Oh, they're doing midsummer and they need guys and I was like, Well, yes, I should <laughs> Um But yeah, so I you know, the thing is that Justin comes from that background and training yeah. and so that is what makes um it certainly influences the ballets, and okay. th- that is what best uh, prepares you to dance his ballets. Mm-hmm. So it's the same same classes that mm-hmm. we took. Same um, vocabulary. That, it's the same vocabulary, same, same yeah. emphasis. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of, they, they go really well together. It makes sense. I, it's not too different. It's more like the bones, I think, are the same, and then we flesh it out with Justin's stylings mm-hmm. and approach to things, but um, it comes from the same foundation. Mm-hmm. I know you said you all, you met at 16. Yes. So how long were your careers like parallel or you together? Well, I went to the Miami City Ballet and he went to New York City Ballet straight away. Okay. But um, we did stay in touch. I mean, I remember him coming down to visit me in like 2009 or eight. And, um, you know, so we were still friends, but then he came to Miami City Ballet. It was the first place outside of New York City Ballet, I believe, could be wrong, that <laughs> probably the first, that he got a commission outside of New York City Ballet. Okay. So Year of the Rabbit had probably just premiered, and then Lourdes Lopez said, the, the director at that point was Lourdes Lopez, um, she said, can you come down and make a pot of us for us like right away? Yeah. And that was when he met his wife, Patricia Delgado, and they've been together ever since. They have a beautiful child so yeah yeah. well I was curious I was asking that too because I was curious how long you guys again danced together for that just that sharing of style and for you to be his stager yeah we were in the school together it was only for two years that we were working Mm -hmm. side by side as students but it's the same it just stays the same like Mm -hmm. it's so it's interesting ballet I think is really interesting in that you 
you stay with those people, it's like those formative years influence you forever. And then those are still your friends forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Like you'll say. never escape the people that you knew when you were 15. Well, yeah. that's what I was just, I was saying to a friend of mine, I was like, I have people that I've known since I was 16 that are now directors of companies. And it's so wild to see how those relationships stay tight yeah. together during the course of that. And I thought it's how fun it is be working with somebody like Justin Peck as well. Yeah. And, being able to do what you love and you're so passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, I'm going to jump into one of our other questions, which is um, what do you think it is about the work that you have done and as a dancer and as an artist that makes you a strong stager? And what exactly does a stager do inside of that? Like what qualities do you bring from your work during Ugh. your time as a dancer to this? Because yeah. it's not something everybody can do. I did always pride myself on being a smart dancer. I liked I liked to know the inner workings of the ballet rather than just my own contribution. Um, And there's just something very satisfying about um, being a a quick learner, you know, like getting, like being, especially when you're put on the spot, that can happen a lot in companies, you know, someone gets injured and if you can be that go-to person, Mm -hmm. there's definitely a source of, that's a big source of pride for a lot of Mm -hmm. people. Um, And I think that, you know, it was just knowing my strengths. It was like, uh, do, do I, am I a virtuoso dancer? No. Am I a six foot three partner? No, but I, um, I, I thought I was a good mover and I was very smart. So I was, that's what made me usable. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that those things, I think also maybe like someone that is an easy virtuoso or someone that it ha- ballet happens for super naturally. Um, maybe those people have a harder time communicating, um, and, you know, relaying ways to make other dancers who are less natural um, achieve their full potential. Like, you know, it can be a little bit like, why can't you do it like me? Yeah, right. <laughs> but for me, I, I was a very hard worker and a quick learner. So I think those two things help me um, in, in letting all the dancers in the room achieve their full potential rather than just being like, oh, well, these people just do it naturally and then everyone else can figure it out. Yeah, because as a stager... You come in weeks before the choreographer. Um, in this case, you've been here three. You get a total of how many before a choreographer well, arrives? Well, Justin, unfortunately, is not going to be with us. Okay. We might be able to sneak a Zoom in with him. I'm wondering Probably about that. About that. Yeah. About six weeks. You get six weeks? No. Three weeks, that's it. That's it. This is it? Yeah, this that's is it. It's my last day. day. This is your last yeah. day. I mean, I come back, but it's at a point where the, obviously the ballet is sharing a yes. uh, triple bill with two other works. Yes. And... Uh, those works need time too. So when I come back, I will be, instead of, uh, you know, like my first day here, I had full reign. I had six hours. Uh-huh. And then when I come back, it'll be probably an hour or two a day. I don't know what I'm allowed. You and tell me, Nick. I know. I was <laughs> like, oh boy, I don't know if we've done that schedule yet. Yeah. But it is certainly more challenging, right? When you yeah. leave the work behind and then to see how mm-hmm. it's being taken care of. And then you sort of show up on that theater week and go, so but again your strength um as a dancer and as a stager you've got to come in you know all of the parts all I of know. the pieces all I the moving pieces and have to do you know all the counts for this Ooh, i mean i try well then i yeah there's always some kind of snafu that rears its ugly head as you <laughs> go in and then this was something that kate um who was assisting me, was it was uh, sort of We're my... Talking about Caitlin. Caitlin, yeah. yes. Um, she <laughs> would tease me about because there are moments, like there there are hard counts in it, but, you know, there's, there's are moments where you do 
five, six, five, six into 11, 11 or whatever, you know, but then something I kept doing was screwing up whether or not I wanted to count an eight fast or slow, or like if you could count it like one, two, three, four, or one, two, three, four. And I kept flipping them back and forth and the dancers were confused as well. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is terrible. This is, it should have been the easiest thing. And I, I, I messed that up, but you know, for next time you live, mm-hmm. you learn. Mm-hmm. But but in this particular instance, you took on more responsibility for staging, didn't you? Right. This ballet typically has a co-stager. Oh. I've staged it previously with my a wonderful former partner of mine, okay. Zoe Zion, and it worked out very beautifully because she had danced one of the principal women's roles and a core role, and I had done a principal role and a, and a core role, mm-hmm. and then the filling in of the blanks there happened a lot more seamlessly, whereas... Mm-hmm. You know, this time I, of course, had I had that experience in watching Zoe lead the room, mm-hmm. but I had to um, really you know, learn it a lot better <laughs> than when I knew when I last staged it. Also, the last time I staged it was almost five years ago, and a few things have happened since then. Yes. So, um, yeah, it was it's definitely some hard work, prep work, but mm-hmm. but really fun and worth it. So you and I were chatting, and I hate to bring in from outside talk, but. I think for our audience, it's really intriguing to know. Is this the only project you're working on right now? No, I I like I have two ballets that I'm preparing. That I'm well, one that I start staging on Monday. Okay, and that was a work that was made on Miami City Ballet called Heatscape, and I haven't staged it yet. So it's kind of the same process. I have danced it, but I still I've dan- and again I did a soloist and a core role in that. So that helps me anchor the ballet a little bit, but I have to learn all the women's parts and um in, in a potada, you know, a section of a man partnering a woman, it can be particularly challenging to demonstrate. You know, you're trying to do two things at once and um it's really <laughs> uh it's a challenge, but it's one that I enjoy. So I have that coming up on Monday. And then another staging of a pot that I have not done before um, that will come in another month. So it's just, it's been a lot. So again, I'm going to go a little off script here. And I'm going to, I'm going to probe on this because it's something that I found really funny when I was listening to Alexei Rotmansky give a talk at the International Ballet Competition in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we are always talking about internally, but I don't know that we ever talk about externally or that our audiences recognize, which is when you talk about staging a ballet talk about learning it is somebody handing you the notes oh right yeah or is there some sort of methodology that like happens there i mean has justin sent you all of the notes for the ballets or how are you doing this well i mean the other thing is the thing about notes the problem with notes is that it could be like hieroglyphs i mean mine look like hieroglyphs i think i don't know like if i handed Mm -hmm. someone that knows the ballet really well let's say zoe who i Mm -hmm. staged it with her notes are going to look entirely different from mine. You have to come up with a shorthand that works for you. Mm-hmm. And someone, or like Kate, who was assisting me all for this whole process, like she might look at that and be like, what the, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there there are things that only you can really get. And some days you look at your own notes and oh, go, yeah. and what? Like, this uh, is garbage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, for me, my process is... I have to learn all the steps. You learn the steps from a video or like, of course I know this, my own steps and then, but you can't just take any old video. Mm -hmm. So like in my process for rabbit, let's say I have three different videos um, and a couple of other short clips 
let you have opening night, but opening night isn't perfectly synced to the music, so that's a nightmare. So you can't use that for everything. Plus, he changed steps, so then you have this other cast. But then you have to be discerning. There are different, diff- like let's say we have three dancers doing the same thing. We're all going to be a little different. I'm lucky enough that I know the dancers, so I can kind of be like, well, you know what? I really think Daniel's probably right on this one. Mm. And then I go to a third video, which is the clearest video, but then there are some things where I'm like, I don't know that that is quite... Right, and I'll ha- I have to make these executive decisions, but it, you cannot, it's a very bad idea to try to take it from one performance because otherwise all sorts of things creep in um, that are just not really the intention. Mm-hmm. So I, I, to- I learned from, from the, the videos, but I'm kind of placing all those together according to what I think is right. And then I go back and confirm with someone that I know that's original cast. So like for instance, for this ballet, Janie Taylor, was one of the central women, and it, I lucked out that she was uh, in Vail when I was there for the Vail Dance Festival, so we spent a solid, like, two hours together with her telling me what makes certain lifts work, or, like, oh, I did that wrong on the video, or, mm-hmm. like, um, this person that did it after me learned it in a day, and then she's doing that wrong, or, like, you know, that sort of thing, so that you ha- you, you're you just, it's like, I feel like it's like being, like, an archaeologist or something, you're, yeah. like... You can't like I'm obviously our audience can't see me smiling, but I'm I'm <laughs> smiling so largely because I, I feel like you've just really truly captured the essence of what makes our art form so unique and so challenging. Yeah. And where that oral tradition that we sometimes talk about exactly. as an art form exists. Why and you can't just watch a video. Yeah. Like why can't we just put the video in there with the dancers? Right. Oh. No, that that's what makes the field mm-hmm. that you're specialized in so unique, but also the connection that you have to the artist of the creator while being a process of being created mm-hmm. upon. And then in addition to that, having access to the artists that were there with you. And I think you also highlighted something inside of the story that was super fascinating, which is just how small our world is. So it's you're out in Vail. Yeah. And it happens to be that your friend who you know knows yeah. to work and you can sit down and you can have this fantastic performance at the Vail Festival. Right. And then on top of it, you get to have this conversation. And so I think it really highlights just how cool this business yeah. can be, but mm-hmm. also just how important everybody plays a role in what we do. Yeah. why it's so important that we continue having these conversations and being able to engage with our artists. And it really puts deep value, yeah. I think, on everything we do. So thank you for sharing I, that story. I totally agree. I, I love it. It's, it's, it's fun being, having to be a little ballet detective and yeah. get into the nitty-gritty and then having those people share their, their personal stories about um, the creative process. Mm-hmm. And, then, and just like the, the tips and tricks, they're like little things can make such a difference, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, a, let's say, a, par- a challenging partnering sequence. Like, you know, just tech, I'll text Craig Hall, who... How did you do this? Yeah, like, <laughs> what is this? And he's just like, oh, you just like, you give like a little push with the right hand at this moment, and that's, yeah, then you're mm-hmm. good. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the camera loses, you lose a lot of that. Those little little oh, things yeah. you can't see. And uh, for instance, the central potata in this... Um, it is very dark and there was something that was happening there was this moment i call it like a threading moment and we were just kind of struggling we were making it work but i was like i don't know and then i looked at a later video like i was saying that i have one video that's really clear but that there are some things on that video i don't trust so i don't go to it that often Mm -hmm. but then i went to that video and i was like he has her armpit there like we've been doing it with fingers on a rib cage because you can't see on the darker, mm-hmm. more correct videos. And then I'm like, that's what it is. And then mm-hmm. I go back and look at the darker videos and like you actually can see it, but not unless you are looking for it. You know what I mean? So it's really, it's a lot of, 
back and forth there. Detective, like yeah. you said. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, so, Year of the Rabbit. Tell us about... Year of the Rabbit. Okay, so the score by indie, indie, beloved indie rock celeb, <laughs> Sufjan Stevens, um, who uh, you know, has such a, a wide variety of skill in composition. So, I mean, I'm actually, I don't really, I'm not super familiar with Sufjan's indie music. I know some, a, a track here and there, I love it, but it's just wild that he can make these classical compositions that I think are so danceable. But he, he this actually stemmed from an electronic mm-hmm. indie album that Sufjan did called Enjoy Your Rabbit. And Justin was a fa- Justin was a Sufjan fan when we were in the dorms together. Mm-hmm. Really sure how they met. But he met him and convinced him that that recording could be orchestrated for dance. Um, I guess Sufjan like was not super into the idea of his stuff being danced to, and then finally saw Balanchine's Agon and was like, "Oh wait, ballet is cool." <laughs> um, so then they had to to spend time orchestrating it and hammering out how this was going to be possible to count at all. Mm. So, for instance, the, the central potata, uh, it's called Year of Our Lord. I just yesterday listened to the. Sufjan version, like the original version. And I was like, oh, I don't know how Justin could hear this as a danceable anything. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. It's like so um, poignant and it just makes you feel all the, the feelings about life and yeah. death and art and ballet, you know? Yeah. And it's the fact that Justin, it's just, you know, some people have vision like that mm-hmm. that he convinced him. And, and now it's um, a fully realized, beautiful ballet ballet, mm-hmm. you know? And it came from this indie rock electronic moment. Is there any like central theme inside of it that you've recognized? Is it a little bit more multiple storylines? How is this sort of told? Because sometimes with, you know, Balanchine-esque work, there is a storyline and sometimes there's not. And sometimes right. we're left to our own devices to interpret the story. And so we're very much left to interpret the story or if, you, <laughs> if there is one, as you please, you know, I, you can watch, you could watch the ballet and just be like, that was wonderful dancing and well the thing is that Justin what put the reason why you're the rabbit is very important first it was his first work at the state at the New York State Theater well formerly New York State Theater now David H. Koch Theater um that uh it was his first work that was done there premiered there and people stood up and noticed because he was using the corps de ballet 
that seemed to be his central focus that okay. he there were all these formations and visual ideas that come out of nowhere like things like uh, at one point he turns two women into like a New York turn subway turnstile mm-hmm. and that. you yeah. see like this motif repeated motif of the the dancers being support in a supported lift and it looks like dolphins jumping out of the water mm-hmm. like all it's very rich imagery and it constantly morphs and reels you in and mm-hmm. you're just never your mind is never left to wander and when i was watching it i was think i was in there with the what's the scene it was the boar uh-huh. and, you're and the boar yeah you're the boar and the vocabulary was of course i saw the, ba- the ballet vocabulary but then there was like i'm gonna say pedestrian mm-hmm. type yeah. vocabulary. i was like oh they're going into a split up oh, there's a turnstile up oh, right. there's a like it was very relatable mm-hmm. to everyone just as far as you know being able to identify something yeah in the year of the tiger section the way you mentioned the splits and the push-ups i think yes of that the push-ups yeah yes. it's kind of uh but it's a more meditative section and then you have the women doing splits and the men doing push-ups they're kind of just it emulates like maybe like what we do at the beginning of our ballet day. It's uh, like, oh, okay, I'm going to do a split before I take my bar or like I have to do a push up before my potata now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, he, he definitely draws from life. Maybe I should explain too, because um, the ballet is titled you're the rabbit, but each section it, except for year of our Lord um, is named after Chinese Zodiac sections. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Justin originally thought maybe he would reference it, and then he was like, "You know what? That's going to drive me insane." And it's just <laughs> the name of the piece, and that's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not stick actually. To that theme. Yeah, it's yeah. just a reflection of the music, and that is that. <laughs> All right. So, how many dancers are in? Ooh, don't make me do this math. Yeah, because uh, I'm trying no, to think how many how many different parts did you have yeah. to learn? How many dancers? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. It's wait. No, this is easy. It's 12 core dancers and six principals. So it's okay. 18 spots I had to learn, but I already knew two. So <laughs> one, one night of the 16 way there. more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you arrive, you get three weeks here, you walk into the space and you've got a cast in one day. Mm-hmm. What are yeah. you looking for in a dancer when you walk into a space? Well, the, the, uh, the parts all have different needs. So, um, you know, there's one part, the Craig Hall role just has to be an amazing partner. And um, what's an amazing partner? An amazing partner. Well, of course, there's like certain brute strength. Okay. But then there's also an instinct for where a ballerina wants to be, meaning like where her weight wants to be at any given moment, or an instinct for how to save something if it's kind of falling but sometimes we're intentionally falling Mm. you know for instance today we had um two dancers that have a a pot from the year of our drag year of the dragon section and it's just really wild like almost unhinged and one dancer is kind of in pursuit of the other but the partner owen thorne is just so uh in tune with claudia what's claudia's last name mona mona claudia mona Claudia Mona is just able to go so far in, in, you know, exploring like how abandoned she can be because Owen is just there for her, almost anticipating everything that she's going to do and then enabling this freedom through his own strength. So Mm -hmm. it's not just man lift woman, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like he can really sense her every step of the way Mm -hmm. and allow her to be the fullest version of herself. So when you take a look at, the company and you're trying to assemble it all from a class. Ugh, yeah. It's pretty challenging, right? Because yeah. 
you know, it's, it's difficult during the course of that process to feel where the strengths and weaknesses are inside of each artist in that moment. So when the dancers start their process with you and you kind of have everybody in the room, did you find that you have that opportunity to explore a little bit? Or is it just like once class is done, then they're done and they're fit into that spot? Or is it more of an evolutionary process? I mean, it's not really too often that I end up changing anything. Didn't happen here. We were lucky everyone was in the right place. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do have to get to know people and bring them into the style. But you know, Justin's work is still so rooted in classical ballet vocabulary that it it's not like, you know, just going from nothing. It, in worst case scenario, I could technically cast from class, but okay. I usually like to do a little phrase uh-huh. to see where people are, to give people an opportunity because class is very different, you know. Yeah. It's not so different from Justin's work, but class, you're, you're honing your technique, you're warming yourself up for the day, but Justin's opportunity gives you a little bit more or a lot a bit more opportunity yeah. to feel free and um, push the boundaries of what like what technical classical vocabulary is. I saw that push on day one of our company's I return. Know, Welcome believe, back. I oh, it was the first it for, day. For the yeah. very first day. <laughs> and that brings me to my next question because it is a pretty Nashville Ballet specific audience. And we're talking about a style of dance that isn't necessarily utilized a lot mm-hmm. in our repertoire. So how do the Nashville Ballet dancers connect with that work when it's a different style? And did you see that there was any issue with trying to make them bridge the gap, as you sort of described yeah. it when we talked about your first experience at SAB? I mean, they didn't have that issue at all. Like, at all, at all, at all. It's just, they were just ready. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Everyone is so hung. I mean, I always just say that the best thing a dancer can be is a hard worker because you can't change so many things about yourself. You can't be taller. You can have longer legs. You can work on things you can you can get better at that but it's not even just like okay I'll get better at my turn someone will have better turns than you someone will have yeah. higher extension as but the point is that you are a worker so mm-hmm. eventually if you can be the hardest worker in the room that is such an invaluable skill that mm-hmm. no one can replace it's the one thing you can truly control because someone will always be better at you with in every other regard so everyone in Nashville Ballet and I've said this off mic I know Every single person is an insanely hard worker. I have to tell them to stop. <laughs> like literally today we did three runs and some people had to do all three. And I was like, I will make you stop. I will, I will, I will press pause and be like, you better stop dancing. Because right <laughs> it's a lot of energy. The, pe- yeah. the part I saw yeah, is a lot of energy. Really and give yourself fully. And the, yeah. How long is the piece? It's about 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, depending on how fast Ming conducts for us. Yes. <laughs> Ming Luke, who I love, who's been on my podcast, and was I was so thrilled that, to find out he's the conductor here because he's yeah. just love picking his brain about music. Yeah, Ming Luke is our musical director. We're so excited. He comes in from San Francisco mm-hmm. for these works, and, you know, I'm excited that he'll also be there to speak about the work on Sunday when we do the performances, and so we'll be able to do a pre-curtain speech with or a conversation with him. And oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he just has such a, he's such a wonderful communicator. He just really helps you understand his art form he in a is. way that's accessible, but still brainy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love Ming. What is it that you love about your work? I mean, I think today is a pretty amazing example of why I love my work. We finished, and, um, well, we did the f- a first and second cast run, and I already feel like you just see 
how people have grown in a two and a half week process. You mm-hmm. see this and that, and that I guess kind of to feel like, to feel that I'm a part of that, that I've helped enable them is very humbling and beautiful and allows me to feel what I felt like as a dancer, you know, you so the feeling of service to something higher than yourself. Yeah. For me, that is art and ballet. And getting to experience and share with people moments like today, the very last part of rehearsal, we had a dancer who apparently was an apprentice last year. I did not know this. And the whole studio is watching her. She's learned this patata. You know, I picked her to learn the, this patata. And it's the most beautiful, serene moment in the ballet. And she did the whole patata. And afterwards, she just burst into tears because she was so happy. I, it was baby's first patata. She'd never been seen like that oh. ever before. And it's just like, I was just sitting there like, this is what this woman has dreamed of. You know, this is why she did it, right? Yeah. Like, this is why we... Uh, you know, don't go to birthday parties or prom or whatever as kids and Mm -hmm. you, you know, you give up everything and we get, we have a job that isn't going to pay us what like Silicon Valley will, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and and a job that's going to end by the time we're, you know, quite young still. We sacrifice all these things in the hopes of having a moment like that Mm -hmm. and that I got to share that with her felt really beautiful Mm -hmm. and special. I love that too about our company is that you, like you said, you don't even know her role or title. Oh yeah, within, within the organization or within the company. So yeah, for you to come in in what one day to cast and select. This yeah, person. I mean yeah, it was funny. I role. didn't even. I mean, well, also Nick didn't put those. You know, another director maybe would have said, "Well, these are our people, and you right. have to use the people." And um, Nashville Ballet being unranked, it made it so I could just use who would be best for the part and I didn't even consider that you know someone might be new or not and it was just those people were right for the ballet Mm -hmm. and they all excelled well and I think that's really key for the artists here right when we talk about National Ballet as a place that we're trying to foster artists Mm -hmm. there has to be that opportunity to learn and to grow and to develop and I think when a stager comes in with an open mind there is that opportunity for those individuals to do that and I I said this to you off mic and I'll say it to you on mic, which is that I think it's a testament to when somebody can walk into the space and the artists are willing to give themselves in that particular way. And I think this ballet lends itself to that. I think you've captured that essence of it. And I think our audiences are really going to enjoy seeing our artists utilize that versatility and that skill set and their own sort of selves Mm -hmm. inside of the work. I think one of my favorite things that you said during the course of the, the run through today was Dancers, I can see you all working together, but you're still maintaining your individuality. And that's something I'm so proud of with this organization. And for you to capture that unprompted, I was like, yay, us. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's so true, though. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what makes a ballet so vibrant, is that it, like the, that we can all be giving ourselves as individuals. And you could look at any individual person at any moment, and mm-hmm. they could be know offering something super special and mm-hmm. unique and then it makes this cohesive whole somehow inside of that even though we're all different and mm-hmm. idiosyncratic like uh that beautiful cohesion that comes from um just giving all of oneself mm-hmm. i think and that's probably what keeps it interesting too you know if we we as dancers that perform it multiple times it's different every time you going to set it on different companies, it's never the same. You're setting the same steps. Yeah. It's, you know, it's their individuality. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean that this that potata today. I thought what was really unique and special about it, um, aside from you know Suzanne Farrell, who's a very famous ballet dancer, she she would always say. Um, you know, how you dance is as unique as your thumbprint. So it will always be different. You don't have to worry about being different or special. You are inherently special. But this dancer that did it, you know, her first pas de ever in front of people, yeah. her peers, um, you know, when, when Janie Taylor premiered the part, there was something very beautiful because it was at the tail end of her career at New York City Ballet. So it's like to have that, the, that very it. different... Lens, beginning the and beginning and the end and I think of that potata as sort of like well Justin has spoken about it being um like utopia just like a sort of total moment of serenity and peace but I think of it sort of as like a sea of time an ocean of time in which you get to exist in every moment mm-hmm. of your career mm-hmm. like in particular there are a couple moments where um there's a moment where the ballerina touches the ground and there's another one where she's held aloft on the man's shoulder and she's looking ar- around, kind of taking everything in. And I think about you're, you're acknowledging the space you're in, the, the stage that has given you so many beautiful experiences. And I think in that moment you get to, I like to think of you existing in all of them at the same time. Like you're both, it's Farron's first potata and Janie's last mm-hmm. at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a very beautiful moment. I agree. I always think about that as well. Like even like a swan lake or something. Like you're kind of like, I guess, conjuring or oh, yeah. right all I the other cast. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. All the moments. <laughs> Don't make me cry <laughs> on air. Like, that was beautiful. I mean, oh. I think, you know, watching that potata specifically that you're referencing to see Claudia do it, to see Jamie mm-hmm. do it, and then to poke my head in and see Farron do it. I think you captured that really well, which is that it can be something to anyone depending on whatever their life experience is and whatever they bring to that moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I watched Farron do that work, I got to see it twice. Thank you for that. Um, What I was impressed with was how she was striving to emulate the maturity inside of it through her own lived experiences. And so even inside of those moments, you get to see the personality of a young artist yeah. trying to find who they are. And I thought that was a really great chance for them to do that. That was very for cool. sure. Yeah. It's been so special. Don't make me go. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts? Well, I'm curious, I suppose, when you look um, to the actual stage when, we, when you come back, is that process going to be any different for you when you arrive in terms of how you're going to approach it? Are you going to be just as adventurous in terms of like trying to demand out of the artists or are you going to be trying to get them to like ease into the show? How is your approach going to be? I think we're going to still have to push for max. It's not too brutal, the ballet. I mean, people get tired, but it's what we call, we say you get puffed. Um, and so it's puffy at points, but it's not something where doing it every day is just going to murder you. (laughs) So I think we'll be pretty demanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something else about the ballet um, is that the lighting features quite prominently in it. So that will definitely be uh, like a, a, you know, an early week challenge, like making sure that the effects are all coming together in that way. Not just that the dancing looks good because if the dancing is good, but you're 
in shadow, you know, or, or like, but there are moments where you're deliberately silhouetted and mm-hmm. that's not there, you know, that sort of thing. So we'll be hammering out those details. I know we haven't talked about that at all, but Brandon, Brandon Sterling Baker is the lighting designer for this particular work. And I'm curious, have you had the chance to work with Brandon on yes. this? Yes. Yes. Brandon came to Hong Kong when I staged the ballet last um, in 2019. Um, Brandon's wonderful. He's He's been working with Justin for years now. I mean, well, You're the Rep was the first work that both of them did, I think, okay. I believe, for the New York City Ballet. I'm pretty sure Brandon had not yet had a premiere there. Could be lying. But it was an early work at the very least, and so he's also, like Justin, just grown through the years. Yeah. He just did um, Copeland Dance episodes, which was Justin's um, first full evening work at the New York City Ballet, or anywhere, um, that was a smash hit. Uh, was that... That this year, what year are we in? <laughs> is it is it 2019? It is 2023. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, Brandon is just such a, a wonderful person and uh, lovely to work with, and does excellent work. So I can't. I'm so happy that he'll be here as well. Yeah, and that's the path that I was leading us down, which is that not only do you have to memorize the steps, but you have to be a coach when you bring it into its final steps Mm -hmm. in the theater. But in addition to that, you're expected to understand what the lighting is and how it's supposed to interact with the final product on stage, right? So there's a ton of responsibility Mm -hmm. that goes beyond just memorizing yeah. counts and musicality yeah. and everything Because I've had stagers, too, that are into the costumes and down to the earrings. And oh, yeah. the, so are you part of that as well? Oh, yeah. It's my, it's my job. Okay. i got to make it all look right, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think if everyone shows up on, you know, to dress rehearsal with a low bun, I'm going to be like, well, that's not the ballet. And we, you know, so it's all in the, the devil's in the details, yes. you know? Well, and I think that's what articulates um, your position so well is that it's always in the details, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you take that big, big picture of a work that our audience sees on stage in the final product, and you bring it by bit by bit by yeah. bit, and you come to an organization that you've never been to, in a city you've never been to, mm-hmm. get thrust into it with no sort of concept of what you're going to be seeing, and then in three weeks are expected to turn around, create with all of the f- musicality and everything else, uh-huh. And then you're going to go away for two, no, three weeks. Three and weeks. trust us. And then you're going to yeah. leave it with us <laughs> and our staff, thankfully, and then turn around and drop you in. And not only do you have to do the exact same part of the job that you did before, but we're going to add all of the technical uh-huh. elements to yeah. it. So if we haven't said it enough, thank you for everything you've done yes. for National Ballet. <laughs> it's and been a pleasure. And we're so excited to have this work on stage, mm-hmm. and we really appreciate you bringing it to life for us. Oh, it's mm-hmm. been my pleasure for sure. I feel so lucky to have been here and to work with the dancers, and I, it, it's impossible to imagine that I didn't know them just three weeks yeah. ago. I love all of them individually so much, and that's a collective now. whole. Yeah, besties. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just can't wait to see what the future holds for all these dancers and for the company. All right, so that was three weeks. I tried to give you six. I said six uh, in the beginning. I'll take six yeah. next time. Well, no, 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 we, no, we, we, no, we won't. No, I We've well, got a whole other another ballet to do on top of Paul Vasterling's Firebird. Yeah, a couple right. of other ballets. You guys, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. Um, Year of the Rabbit, Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit is on our Firebird ticket, which will be presented at TPAC September 22nd through the 24th. Anything else, Nick? No, I think uh, our audiences, though, as we heard today, are going to be really excited about mm-hmm. this program. That Yes, they'll know Firebird and Stravinsky, but on top of it, they're going to see some really great neoclassical work and some fantastic contemporary work that's going to show the range, versatility, and incredible artistry of this entire company. I think people are in for a real treat for this show. Definitely. Uh, for you sure. guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
Thank you for joining us for this latest installment of Nashville Ballet's podcast series, Inside the Ballet. To learn more about our performances, virtual season releases, community engagement initiative, and more, visit NashvilleBallet.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.